This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. For 10% off your first air purifier, visit molekule.com. Enter the promo code FOOL10 at checkout. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. We've got a great show today breaking down Ballard Power and the fuel cell industry. Motley Fool Canada Chief Investment Advisor Ian Butler is my guest today. Ian, how's it going? As well as it can, Nick. It's uh, interesting times that we live in, isn't it? Yeah, it's wild. I know when we were getting ready for the show, I sent you this stat that we've had more consecutive 4% up and down days than any time in the market uh, since 1929. So when you're citing stats from the Great Depression, uh, to put to put things in context, that, that really just, just goes to show we're kind of in uncharted waters here. Uh, you know, you pay attention to the Canadian market very closely. That, that's not a market I pay a lot of attention to. How crazy has it been for y'all over there on the TSX? It has been more crazy than in the uh, U.S. Actually, to be uh, to be frank, it, we're, we are a very resource-heavy um, market, and resources have been absolutely killed. I mean, en- energy is sort of patient zero on, on this uh, market downturn, and uh, there, there's just some wild scenarios that I don't think anybody saw coming. I mean, it's it's been an industry that's been in tr- sort of it's it's been hated. I've I've called it the most hated sector in the entire global market for a couple of years now. And frankly, there was a case for investing in, in it, but we did not see demand destruction and we did not see the response to demand destruction uh, by the biggest oil producers stomping on the gas and flooding the market with supply. So it's, it's, a, it's a true tsunami there. And uh, there's a lot of bankruptcies priced in, uh, frankly. The, the stocks have been just absolutely killed. Yeah, it, it's insane, right? You have this probably the biggest supply shock in my lifetime, for sure, when it comes to the coronavirus coming with probably the biggest demand shock in my lifetime as well, uh, with with the Saudis announcing that they're going to really start pumping as much oil as they possibly can. You mentioned how big the resource sector of the market is for you all over in Canada. Uh, are there any companies that you see here that, hey, this might be a good value? I know a lot of folks are asking me, what are some oil stocks I can take a look at? The, the, I think the, th- the thing to key on is the balance sheet for, for these companies, and that, and that really applies across the market in these situations. I mean, we're talking about scenarios where revenue goes to zero for companies when the, if, if they're closing the doors for a period of time. So balance sheet strength is critical. Uh, in the energy space, uh, one that comes to mind is a company called Payson Systems, uh, net cash. Uh, it's a bit of a t- it's a technology company really that plays in the energy sector. Uh, so they, they uh, their their products go on drilling rigs and and produce information for the for the drilling companies. Uh, inside heavy founder led heavy inside ownership, lots to like. It's just in a terrible terrible industry. Uh, and 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 I mean on the production side, it's I, I wouldn't necessarily go to the production side. Never have. They're just they're generally terrible businesses because they're just capital hungry beasts really. They need access to capital at all times. That's not there. So there's going to be trouble there. There is a debt-free royalty company that owns land, and people pay it to drill on that land called Prairie Sky. That's somewhat attractive. But again, if, if the, the Canadian industry has got even more problems beyond the uh, macro issues that are facing the world, we, we've got some political political issues where we can't get our oil out of Canada, so, and the U.S. Didn't, doesn't need our oil anymore. So it's 
to to go with a royalty company, you got to believe that the Canadian industry is going to be strong uh, for a year, or at least get find its legs at some point. Um, but I, I think that the Payson Systems is probably the best uh, best idea I've gotten in that in that land. Yeah, no, p- politically, we've heard a lot from from President Trump and other folks about how we might want to use some government largesse, maybe maybe that's not the best word, but some government intervention to support the industry. Has that been discussed in Canada at all? Oh, it, it's a it's a hot button item. Um, the the real issue here it, uh, comes down to pipelines uh, and building pipelines, and there's real territorial strife over sort of not in my backyard type situations with with the pipelines. And we, we need a pipeline built, or several pipelines, really, to the coast to get our oil elsewhere. The only con- country that we really export our oil to is the U.S., and that's uh, that's completely hindered our, our entire situation. So, it, yeah, it's it's a huge political his- issue here. Yeah, wild. Outside of, you know, before, before we go on the back half of the show, we're going to talk about Ballard Power and the fuel cell industry. Uh, obviously, it's been sell-offs across the market. So, going away from energy, any other sectors that you, you think are look particularly attractive right now? maybe not sector specific but in an environment like this like it this is a stock picker's market right we yep. we need to be wary that we're going to probably be wrong in the short term because this this uh situation doesn't look like it's going to rectify itself anytime soon uh but that said there are like a company like brookfield asset management which which perhaps you're familiar with certainly uh well known throughout the u.s is about as rock solid as it gets and there's just a tidal wave of money flowing into real assets Especially where interest rates are now, like the the environment really caters to a company like that. Um, so that's that's when I would point to for sure. Um, there's there's a small and I mean industries or companies where demand is inelastic for their services is, is another place that I would point people. And there's a small company by the name of Ann Lauer Healthcare, uh, which really has a critical um, logistic system for healthcare products. Uh, across Canada, uh, dominant position, almost monopolistic. Um, so that, that's that's another one that I, that I would point people to. Yeah, I, I could echo you on, on Brookfield Asset Management. You know, I didn't know we were going to talk about it on this show. That's actually a stock I've been buying uh, quite recently. You look at this company that just sold off significantly, but the but the assets that they hold just really important infrastructure. Uh, you know, power infrastructure. This is the stuff that you really can't turn off uh, in these times. Any idea why it sold off so much? Because this seems to me like the company you would want to go into uh, in these conditions. The best I can say is that the, the, the mother company, Brookfield Asset Management, has a significant stake in Brookfield Properties, uh, which is the office and retail REIT, and it's really been beaten up. Uh, I, I think the world believes that nobody's ever going to go to a mall again, nobody's ever going to go to an office to get, office again. Um, wrong. I think the world is wrong on that front. <laughs> so um, it, it was actually a recent recommendation for us, uh, sort of at the $20 Canadian mark. Uh, it's it's gone down pretty significantly even from there. That that was at about half uh, net asset value. So it's 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 well below trading at 50% net, well below 50% net asset value. Um, so it's really cheap, big yield. Um, but th- there's a lot of um, sort of the, the market doesn't think it it's uh, relevant anymore. Um, so I, that's that's all I can point to for the mother company. Yeah, I, I just will echo. You know, I've personally been buying it. I, I think it's a good value here. But uh, you know, we we shall see. On the back half of the show, we're going to get into the fuel cell industry and Ballard Power. But first. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. Molecule's technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people. Molecule has given allergy and asthma sufferers around the country an all-new experience. 
Breakthrough Pico technology across a range of products provides a solution for the entire home when it comes to air purification. No matter the size of your room, you can choose the option that's best for your space, whether that be the Molecule Air for large rooms or the Molecule Air Mini for smaller rooms. Molecule has introduced a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. Pollen may get the blame for seasonal allergies, but it's actually tiny proteins that break off from it that are truly responsible. They're also the ones that can pass right through traditional HEPA air filters, but Molecule's breakthrough Pico technology destroys these tiny particles, leaving behind clean air. We've had fools across the company try Molecule, from Chris Hill stealing the office's Molecule to bring it home, to Jim Mueller buying multiple for his own house. If you'd like to try Molecule for yourself, we have a promo code just for our listeners. For 10% off your first air purifier, visit molekule.com and enter the promo code FOOL10 at checkout. That's molekule.com and promo code FOOL10. Okay, Ian, so on the back half of the show, we're going to talk about Ballard Power in the fuel cell industry. We got a question from Vincent. He said, hello, Nick and the Fool Gang. I'm a new stock investor, entered the market in the summer of 2019, and I'm a member of several services at Fool Canada. I've been a daily podcast listener via Spotify on Industry Focus, Market Foolery, Molly Fool Money, and Rule Breaker Investing whilst on my daily commute to and from work, as it's a long one hour each way in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. The hydrogen fuel sector has been super active in the past three months, but relatively flat for several years previous. Even some decades previous. I would love to hear your thoughts on the overall sector for 2020 and beyond. One stock in particular is Ballard Power. As an analyst from Cool Full Canada, mentioned it in passing conversation in a recent Hidden Gems podcast uh, that was covering other stocks on their dashboard. Well, that unnamed Full Canada analyst would be Mr. Ian Butler. Ian, uh, just high-level thoughts on the fuel full sale industry right now, and just maybe why it's been on such a run recently. So, I admittedly, I don't have a great handle on the fuel cell industry, but we did do some background and found it interesting that fuel cells have actually been around since 1839. So it's it's been an industry that's that's around. Uh, the, I classify it, however, as one that certainly sounds wonderful, and I, th- I think it, it tends to catch a bid from he- here and there every, every time sort of renewable energy sort of flares up as a hot and hot and hot trendy topic. Um, but I mean, from a business angle, it really has not been a great place to be uh, as an investor. It, it, like I say, it catch, catches fire from time to time. And I mean, Ballard's a company that, uh, if, if you've been around the Canadian market for any amount of time, it 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 soared sort of in the late 90s uh, and then came crashing right down. And, and I think a similar scenario might be taking hold here. It, it certainly had a hot year last year. Uh, it's pulled back significantly with the rest of the market. It, it's, it, it's a company that's never produced a profit. So revenues are essentially where they were back in the late 90s. Uh, I call these sort of whimsical situations. Uh, It's really more of a marketing company than an actual business. It needs outside capital so they can tell a a story that that tends to bring that outside capital in from time to time. They get a little run and away they go. Yeah, it seems Ballard and the fuel cell industry kind of got buoyed up on that wave when Tesla started surging uh, late last year. There was a big, huge run-up across the entire kind of renewable, clean energy space in which, which Ballard was really carried along. And often when we talk about fuel cells, we're, we're talking about it uh, as kind of the, the, the other side of the coin uh, uh, to EVs. And they actually kind of are similar in some ways. When you, when you look at a, a battery, both, both, they both have a cathode, an anode, and an electro, electrolyte in the middle. Well, a fuel cell basically has the same setup. The difference is that a battery contains all those chemicals inside, uh, inside its, its cell, whereas a fuel cell will, will have hydrogen and oxygen that are coming in from the outside. So you can refuel it uh, kind of like 
uh, kind of like a, a, a car um, or like you would with, with a, uh, a you know, gas-powered um, vehicle. So that gives fuel cells an advantage when it comes to refueling time. They're also much lighter, which really opens up the applications for fuel cells vis-a-vis EVs. Is they're really great uh, for for kind of heavy trucks, that sort of thing, where you need utilization uh, on a really high level, and that's really where folks are seeing some potential demand. I know Ballard has talked up that they they've had some increasing orders for th- buses and things of the like. How should we think about that opportunity as the fuel cell industry going forward? I think that I think you hit on it, and that's why this cannot be or has not been a widely a more widely um, spread sort of uh, product or offering. Uh, just there's no infrastructure for it. We can we can drive around the corner and fill up our cars with gas. There's infrastructure for it. Um, the same thing does not exist for electric vehicles. The same thing does not exist for fuel cell vehicles. So it's it's one where there's a closed loop. If it's a garbage truck or a city bus or something like that, it works. Uh, not necessarily for the wide, more widely uh, spread automobile industry. Right. I think, and that is one of those things when you look at this industry. It's the involvement of the government is particularly important to help build out that infrastructure. You know, and, and China has been one of these markets that has been very early on the adoption curve for both EVs and these type of fuel cell vehicles because they've made really significant uh, investments in that part of the market. It's worth noting, however, that those subsidies came to an end at the end of 2019. So now we're kind of uh, in a situation where where the market needs to be propelled uh, on its own. When you look at that that dependence on kind of government support uh, to build out the thesis uh, for the company, how do you think about that as an investor? No, <laughs> it's not. I, I, I think the company's got to be able to stand on its own merits to to be an attractive opportunity. I think if you're reliant on the kindness of others, and this goes really for a reliance on the financial markets as well. If you're reliant on the financial markets to, for survival, uh, and we can tie this right back to oil and gas companies, they they need the capital markets. So. Um, the kindness of strangers is not is great if it's there. It's not always there, and when it's not there, and you're and you need it, that's a, that's a bad time. So I, I steer clear of those scenarios. Right. So so it sounds like we're saying you know this big run up you know it is not a signal of an inflection point uh, for this industry at this point in time, at least based based on our current assessment. However, you know there are some applications going into the future where you could see a, some limited. Uh, applications for for long haul trucking, that sort of thing, where the, where the weight of batteries is prohibitive, uh, where you need fast refueling, but again, uh, that's dependent on some outside investment um, in that infrastructure. So sounds like high level, these fuel cell companies just just given the conditions in place. Another thing worth mentioning as well in context of Ballard is that you know you've got major companies, Hyundai, Toyota, Nikola Motor, which is which is planning to come public via SPAC this year, that are all involved in this fuel cell EV long-haul trucking space, but many of them are developing their own competing fuel cell technology. So, so it's, we can't assume that the existing producers are going to claim that market as it grows. But, the, but we should expect, I think, over time, uh, the role of fuel cells in this long-haul trucking to grow. However, I don't know how you can pick winners right now is, is, the, is the real concern. Totally. And, and I think the, the other issue with this business is it's very sort of contract-based. So maybe they'll get an order for 25 fuel cells or whatever the number that goes away, they've got to refill that somehow. So they've got to keep continually keep impressing people with their product. And like you say, there's competition on the market. It differs so much from a sort of sort of a more subscription-based model, right? Where where you're sort of you're embedded within the organization and people are paying you on the on the regular. This is uh, essentially a widget maker, a very fancy widget maker, but a widget maker nonetheless. And and that's a that's a tough business model to operate under as well. Right. So so you know as 
as we've kind of painted the picture, this is an industry I wouldn't be excited to super rush into now. However, when you look at this theme, Ian, of kind of continued growth in renewable, cleaner energy, any you know, we mentioned Brookfield earlier, but any companies that jump out to you as these would be the companies I would be looking to deploy my capital towards if I want to play into this clean energy theme. There are angles. I, I'm I'm admittedly somewhat of a skeptic on the renewable energy field. I think that the costs uh, the costs uh, get thrown around a lot. Solar panels have come down in cost significantly. Um, for instance, the the physical product. However, they're so they're intermittent. So to build out and rely on solar power, you need underneath that sort of the traditional. Uh, power sources, call it natural gas or whatever. So it's really a system on top of a system, and that really s- skews the cost equation significantly. So it, it, I think I think it's there, and we're going to continue moving in that direction. Uh, again, though, I, I just um, I, I don't get overly excited uh, like some of the sort of market masses out there. Yeah, we've talked about this on this show in the past. They call it the duck curve. You can, if you look at the curve of, of power demand, uh, at the middle, at the top of the day is when you really have the maximum production uh, of solar, as you would expect, at noon. And then as the sun goes down, it curves, it, it, the, the production kind of curves down just as demand for power increases at the end of the day when folks come home. To your point is why we need things like peaker, uh, peaker plants for, for, uh, for natural gas or, or, uh, or, or stationary storage to hold uh, that, that solar that we've produced during the day. And so it, there's never going to be a magic bullet that solves our, our, our energy problem when it comes to renewables. I mean, even if you want to look at wind, right, the wind doesn't always blow, that sort of thing. Um, so it's really kind of a, a mosaic of, uh, of power sources that we're going to need to keep the, the – uh, you know, our production going? Probably the answer is whoever comes up with the magic battery that's able to store that, that power that's required to sort of get you through the night, that's, that's potentially the answer. And, and I might actually ask you do, you, do you know of any companies along that line that are sort of well down that path? Um, well, so Next Air Energy is a company that, that's, you know, obviously a big renewable producer. I think they've gotten more into the storage area. Everybody likes to jump to Tesla when they think about the battery storage part of the business. However, I think it, what's really driving the bus for Tesla is going to be the auto part of the business, and it's going to be for a long time. You talk about, uh, they say that they're cell-constrained. That limits, uh, cell-constrained on the auto side of the business, that limits how much, how much cells you really have available uh, for stationary storage. When, when I think about a pure play in that area, nothing really, really jumps out. But again, and I, th- I think Nextair Energy is a company involved there. There's a few others, but there's nothing that's like... And another thing I would think about as well, when you talk about batteries, these are kind of commodity products at the end of the day, right? I, um, so I, nothing gets me in- incredibly excited there. But I think companies that, that have stationary storage as part of the, their overall portfolio, I think is a little bit more attractive, uh, in my opinion. Um, we, we let off the show, Ian, talking about the volatility in the market, how uh, you know we really haven't seen things like this in my lifetime, maybe not even my parents' lifetime. As, as, you know, in your personal portfolio, how you are investing, how are you navigating uh, uh, this volatility? How are you investing? Slowly. Uh, luck, I wouldn't call it lucky enough, but I mean, risk management is always part of the equation when it comes to managing a portfolio. So uh, I've, got, I've got a decent cash position on hand. I am investing incrementally in some of the companies that I continue to admire and have been beaten up maybe disproportionately and adding some companies that I've sort of drooled over for years yet the valuation case hasn't been there so I and I think that's um, that's maybe a, a great way to think about these situations is like 
go to quality because quality is seldom on sale. And uh, it, these, these are the opportunities to, to really take advantage of, of getting some of the higher quality companies that, that now have a valuation case that doesn't exist necessarily most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. That that's what I've been doing now. I, I if, if I if I read a list to you of the companies I've been buying, which I'm not going to do right now on the show, other than just because of our, our trading rules and that sort of thing, you will have heard of almost every single one of these companies. The, the, yeah, to, to Ian's point, these are companies that heck, these these really never go on sale. Take that opportunity now. One thing I do struggle with, and you mentioned slowly buying Ian is is I I you know once I get this cash, I push this cash into my account. It's really hard for me to hold it back and, and be super methodical. Do you have any tricks you use to keep yourself disciplined? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are having those type of struggles as well. Well, I keep thinking uh, back to the financial crisis, and the the lesson I took away from that was I I, I was fully invested at the time, and I could do nothing with what was happening out there. So that that was a huge lesson embedded with that 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 will stick with me forever. So. To have liquidity, to be able to take advantage. I, I, I mean, this is going to be a multi-quarter at least situation. Even if we cure the virus tomorrow, the economic impact that is going to roll over uh, many, several quarters. And, and in a market that's driven sort of by analyst estimates, who the heck can estimate, estimate earnings over the next quarter, two quarters, three quarters? So I, I think we're in for some strife here, regardless of, of how the virus plays out. Um, so I, I'm just, uh, I, I think uh, liquidity is, is a great thing to have. Yeah, more important than ever to think long term. To your point, Ian, to to your point of of these these blue chip companies on the back end, I think they're probably going to stick around. I think now is not the time to be speculating on you know the new flavor of the month. Um, but uh, we shall see. Uh, you know, if things continue, we'll have a, we'll have a lot more volatility uh, to talk about and a lot more uh, comparisons uh, to to historical uh, bear markets to uh, to go to. Indeed, and and I mean that's another thing too. Like stats on bear markets, they're they are months long. They are not weeks long. So. Uh, it's it really feel no uh, no pressure to to dump that money in all in one shot. Yeah, very important to think long term, have a plan, stick to it. Uh, Ian, thanks so much for hopping on the show, kind of sharing your thoughts with us, and uh, hope to have you on again soon. Awesome, great to be here. As always, people on the program and companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Ian Butler, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on.